This is the mop-up for September 15th, 2023. The Writers Guild and Hollywood's major studios announced on Wednesday they will return to the bargaining table. This, as the Writers Guild strike, drags into its 137th day. The Writers Guild has attempted to break the solidarity of the major studios by offering to make deals with individual studios. But so far, companies like Netflix, Amazon, Apple and the legacy studios such as NBC Universal, Disney, Paramount and Sony have all stuck together. There is some talk, however, that legacy studios, these are companies that are less about streaming and more about broadcast television. There is talk that they might be willing to break off and make a deal on their own. Meanwhile, talks between SAG-AFTRA and the major studios are at a standstill. On Tuesday, writers and actors took to the streets of Hollywood for a massive march of solidarity. This is the first major strike since 1960 when both the writers and the actors stopped working. I made a mistake on yesterday's show regarding the strike. On yesterday's program, I talked about Bill Maher returning to work along with Drew Barrymore and The View. And I made a mistake when I said that Bill, Drew Barrymore, and the ladies on The View were not just turning their backs on the Writers Guild, they were also turning their backs on SAG-AFTRA. I was wrong. Some of you corrected me, and I looked into it. It turns out SAG-AFTRA, and I will go full screen on the information here, somebody from the Daily Beast actually corrected me, as well as some comments. So thank you for the comments. Turns out SAG-AFTRA has instructed their members who host variety shows, game shows, and talk shows to honor their contracts. Now, they can walk out in solidarity with the Writers Guild on these shows, but SAG-AFTRA has not authorized Bill Maher, Drew Barrymore, or the women on The View to initiate a work stoppage on behalf of SAG-AFTRA. I got that wrong. They're still scabs. They're still crossing picket lines, but they are not, as I said on yesterday's show, turning their backs on SAG-AFTRA. They're just turning their backs on the writers. As we begin this morning, the United Auto Workers The United Auto Workers contract with the big three car makers has now expired. It expired at 1159 Thursday night. One hundred and forty five thousand United Auto Workers working for General Motors, Ford and Stellantis. They no longer have a contract and they are now authorized to begin striking later today. Sean Fain is the president of the UAW. He said he will begin targeting strikes at a GM plant in Wentzville, Missouri, a Stellantis plant in Toledo and a Ford plant in Wayne, Michigan. During previous work stoppages, the UAW often picked one car company, but this time the union is targeting all three very Precision-like targeting. The UAW is reportedly targeting only three plants in the hopes of saving money 
in their union's strike fund. Uh, Striking workers are entitled to $500 a week in strike fund money. If workers at the rest of the plants don't go on strike and continue to work, they can collect their salaries, even though these three targeted strikes will make it next to impossible for Finnish cars to roll off the assembly lines. The idea is the UAW is flexing muscle. They're showing the three major auto companies. They mean business. Give us a contract that we can agree to. We don't need to shut you down completely. Now, if all 145,000 auto workers were to go on strike, it would cost the union $75 million a week to pay each of them $500 a week. The strike fund has $825 million in it. Part of the plan is to force the big three to shut down those targeted plants and then begin laying off workers so that the laid off workers who don't work at the targeted plants are eligible for unemployment benefits and won't have to dip into the strike fund. But there are different legal issues and they're not quite sure who qualifies for unemployment, what constitutes getting laid off. It's a little complicated. I will have more on the UAW strike, which has just begun. I'll have more on that tomorrow as this story develops. New documents obtained by the Wall Street Journal on Wednesday confirm that Exxon, through its own research, knew for certain that fossil fuels were heating up the planet. They knew for certain as far back as the 1970s but did nothing to warn the public. Now, we've reported on this show that they were beginning to get a clear idea back in the 50s. But the Wall Street Journal on Wednesday reports that by the early 70s, Exxon, through their own internal research, knew for sure that they were heating up the planet and destroying, destroying it. These documents have come to light as members of the Rockefeller family have begun funding lawsuits against Exxon. These lawsuits are going on around the country. The Rockefeller family is assisting in these lawsuits, trying to prove Exxon's culpability in the role they played in causing climate change, while at the same time hiding crucial scientific data from the government and the public. In the past decade, the Rockefeller family divested itself from Exxon stock. This is the very same stock which built their family fortune more than a century ago. The Wall Street Journal reports that when NASA scientist James Hansen, back in 1988, testified before Congress warning that oil and gas was heating the planet, Exxon shifted its internal policy away from funding climate research, research that consistently confirmed Hansen's testimony that they were, in fact, heating up the planet. And immediately, Exxon's central scientific strategy, after James Hansen testified about climate change in 1988, Exxon shifted its scientific strategy to make sure 
It was only about preserving Exxon's business model. Much of this new strategy that began in 1988 included funding scientists and think tanks who were only willing to prove the opposite of what Exxon's own climatologists had been confirming for decades, that the continued burning of oil and gas would destroy the planet. This is all in the Wall Street Journal on Wednesday. Not the nation, not the Jacobin, uh, not the New York Times. This is Rupert Murdoch's Wall Street Journal, which says Exxon's deception continued under the leadership of then CEO Rex Tillerson, who left the organization, who left Exxon to become Donald Trump's first secretary of state in 2017. According to this article, according to Rupert Murdoch's Wall Street Journal, Rex Tillerson, during his years running Exxon, dictated that the official policy for Exxon was to lobby, to lobby not just members of Congress, but members of the scientific community and encourage them to downplay the role fossil fuels play in climate change. He also, in internal memos, made certain that any scientific funding went towards supporting science that supported Exxon's business model. Rex Tillerson, according to the Wall Street Journal, continued to lobby scientists who issued the UN's annual climate reports. He would go after the scientists over at the UN. He would insist there was no credible evidence suggesting, as the UN kept saying, that fossil fuels are responsible for more than 75% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. Again, Rex Tillerson, who was CEO of Exxon, got on the phone and lobbied scientists at the UN, insisting their numbers were incorrect, even though his own company's scientists confirmed that they were. Donald Trump gave an interview with NBC's Meet the Press. It'll air this Sunday. He refused to say whether he would pardon himself if he found himself back inside the Oval Office. Trump said he had a chance to give himself a full pardon before leaving the White House, but chose against it. I could have pardoned myself. Do you know what? I was given an option to pardon myself. I could have pardoned myself when I left. People said, would you like to pardon yourself? I had a couple of attorneys that said, you can do it if you want. Uh, I had some people that said it would look bad if you do it, because I think it would look terrible. Um, I said, here's the story. These people are thugs, horrible people, fascists, Marxists, sick people. They've been after me from the day I came down the escalator with Melania. And I did a great job as president. People were acknowledged, great economy, great jobs, great this, great that, rebuilt the military, space force, everything. We, I could go on forever. The last thing I'd ever do is give myself a pardon. Well, the president leaving office could only pardon himself for crimes he committed before 
leaving the White House. He couldn't pardon himself for any civil lawsuits like the Eugene Carroll rape case. He couldn't get out of that with a pardon. And of course, he couldn't pardon himself for any crimes he committed in the state of Georgia. In other words, no preemptive pardon before leaving the Oval Office or a new pardon if he returns to the Oval Office will save him from the racketeering trial down in Georgia. And like I said, had he pardoned himself while leaving office, he couldn't pardon himself for future crimes like violating the Espionage Act and obstruction of justice, which he has been indicted for down in Miami. Earlier in the week, Trump was interviewed by Megyn Kelly on her serious radio show. And Kelly is a racist conservative. She's the one who insists Santa Claus is white. Uh, she's also a lawyer. She gave us a preview of how that trial in Miami is going to shake out, and it won't be good for Trump. Of the four criminal trials Trump faces, the classified documents case down in Miami looks to be the one most likely to be a slam dunk. Unfortunately, he probably won't go to prison for this, but he will be found guilty. I'm going to play you some clips. You'll see why, especially on the obstruction of justice charges. Now, just to refresh your memory, Trump was caught on tape showing a war plan, uh, United States war plan against Iran. He showed it's on tape of him, uh, audio of him showing two researchers who were helping former White House Chief of Staff Mark's, Mark Meadows write his autobiography. On the tape, Trump waves what he says, clearly says is a classified document in front of them. He's uh, trying to prove that the Pentagon was pushing him to declare war in Iran. He's saying this is the war plan with Iran they drew up. He waves the paper and says, to prove his point that, you know, everyone said I was going to launch World War Three, but I didn't cave. The military was pushing me to go to war here. Here is a classified. Here's a classified war plan that Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, presented to me for an invasion of Iran. But I said no. Right. That's he's trying to show that he's a peacemaker. And then on tape and you've heard it, we've played it. He acknowledged, you know, this war plan is classified. I shouldn't be showing it to anyone. He then acknowledges on tape that he could have declassified the war plan, but he didn't. It's all on tape. This is why this case, more than any other against Donald Trump, is a slam dunk. So Megyn Kelly asks him about this. And here is Donald Trump misrepresenting what the law says. They don't even mention the Presidential Records Act. This is all about the Presidential Records Act. I'm allowed to have these documents. I'm allowed to take these documents, classified or not classified. And frankly, when I have them, they become unclassified. People think you have to go through a ritual. You don't. At, at least in my opinion, you don't. At least in my opinion, you don't. That's his new qualifier, at least in my opinion, as though this is all subject to debate, Your Honor. And in my defense, I was ignorant as to what the law is, at least in my opinion. Well, the truth is, 
he was told what the law was. He was told that these classified documents belong to the government. And even if he did declassify them, which he didn't, he was never allowed to bring them back to Mar-a-Lago. They belonged to the National Archives. Now, to declassify a document, he would have needed to consult with the agency heads who produced these classified documents. That's according to executive orders from previous administrations. That's the law. A president cannot unilaterally declassify anything without also getting department heads to sign off on the declassification. So ignorance of the law, he can claim it, but he was told this repeatedly. I'm going to show you the obstruction of justice clip in a second. So Trump has since changed his story. He was interviewed by Brett Baer on Fox News. And Trump said, you know, that tape, that audio is all wrong. I wasn't showing them a war plan. I was showing them newspaper clippings. This is his new defense. They weren't war plans. Here is Megyn Kelly, former lawyer, asking Donald Trump why he would wave newspaper clippings in front of people and then say, this is still classified. I should have declassified them, but I didn't. You probably shouldn't be looking at this. Why would you say this about newspaper clippings, Mr. President? Why would you be holding up a newspaper saying this is still secret? I'd have to I look at it. I couldn't declassify it if I were look, president. I would so have not. to look at it. But that's what well, you told I could Brett have Baer. De- you told Brett Baer that that was a newspaper. I could have declassified. No, I also told Brett Baer, as I remember, I don't know, it was a long time interview. Will you tell uh, me what were you I waving told, around? I also that told Brett Baer that it wasn't a classified document. What were you waving around in that meeting? Because it certainly sounds like I'm not like going to talk to you about that because uh, that's already been, I think, very substantiated and there's no problem with it. It hasn't been substantiated. Jack Smith says Megan, it was let me just tell you. Let me and just you told Brett Barrett. Let me tell you. Here we go again. I'm covered by the Presidential Records Act. I'm allowed to do what I want to do. I'm allowed to have documents. So you can get away with this crap on TV, when you're being interviewed by journalists, you can't get away with this in a court of law, which is why he's never going to testify. He cannot testify. Here he is incriminating himself when it comes to obstruction of justice. This is the best part. This is where Trump completely incriminates himself. His opinion was he could declassify the documents. That's my opinion. But here he is incriminating himself on obstruction of justice. And there's no you can't say my opinion is it wasn't obstruction of justice. Watch this. All I know is I'm allowed to have those documents. But that but once you get a subpoena, you have to turn them over. I know this. I don't even know that. (laughs) He's catching himself. He's like totally confused now. I know this. I don't even know that. I know this. I don't even know that. Uh, Okay, go on. I know this. I don't even know that because I have the right to have those documents. So I don't really know that. Uh, These are Democrat fascists. (laughs) When in doubt, just call Jack Smith a Democrat fascist. When you're subpoenaed as a former president, when they say give us the documents and you don't, 
that has nothing to do with whether or not you were entitled to have them or not. If you're if they say, give us the documents and there's a subpoena and you don't turn them over, you're obstructing justice. You can say I'm entitled to have these documents, not if the FBI has a warrant and comes searching for them and you can't hide the boxes, which he and Walt Nauta are accused of. So uh, when in doubt, call uh, Jack Smith and the FBI Democratic fascists. By the way, you can't. What did he say? Uh, These are Democrat fascists. Okay, you can't be a Democrat, a Mark, a Democrat. That's his. This is his excuse for everything. Horrible people, fascists, Marxists, sick people. Horrible people, Marxists and fascists. You you can't be both. You're either a Marxist or a fascist. You need to figure out which side the enemy is on, Donald Trump. So Biden and Trump are neck and neck. And there are rumblings that Joe Biden is too old. He doesn't sound good. You know, he sounds tired, like all of us. His voice is weak, like all of ours. But like Reagan running for re-election in 1984, this might be part of Biden's charm. I think the American people are going to be somewhat protective of Biden. There is something comforting to him slowing down. There's some humiliation, some humility and humiliation that I think the American people are willing to identify with. There is something calming about grandpa being in charge. The office of the presidency isn't as important as it appears on TV shows and in movies. There is never any ticking time bomb scenario where the president must make up his mind in seconds or the world blows up. That's just in movies. And we saw that on 9-11. George W. Bush was in an airplane hiding, cowering in a fetal position. He was completely out of commission on 9-11. The Situation Room runs with or without the Commander-in-Chief, especially in situations like 9-11. But Trump is all about scaring the American people. And we scare easily. I can assure you there's something comforting about a doddering old man in the White House who's tired because we're tired. And I think his age can work to his advantage, at least politically. The American people need to grow up and realize that the president isn't your father. He's not your grandfather. The government runs with or without the president, or at least should run with or without the president. Okay, here is Joe Biden selling Bidenomics on Thursday. He's making the case for how good things are. Now, we all know things are not good, but they're good for people who vote. So this is not about the half this country that can't come up with five hundred dollars. 
for an emergency. Half this country doesn't have $500 in savings. It, it's a childhood poverty has doubled in the past year. I'm talking about voters, okay? People who think they have skin in the game, right? 100 million people who can vote, don't vote. So they're the ones who aren't participating in the economy. Joe Biden is talking to the Americans who vote. He's making the case for how good things are for them, not the 100 million people who don't vote. New polling shows that Americans don't approve of how Joe Biden handled the economy. This is new polling of likely voters, okay? Not the 100 million people who are living in poverty. It's not their country. New polling shows that Americans who are likely to vote do not approve of how Joe Biden is handling the economy. But these same people tell pollsters they're doing better than they were four years ago, especially now that inflation seems to be cooling off. They just don't give Biden credit. So we're talking about we're not talking about the economy right now. We're talking about how the economy is perceived by likely voters. OK, seems a little distasteful when you think of the 100 million people who live here and don't vote because they're not participating in our economy. So for the for likely voters, Biden has a messaging problem. Again, this is for likely voters, not the 100 million Americans who fell through the cracks and don't vote. The people who disappeared because our economy, our economy only works for at least half the people who live here and just barely. We're talking elections now, not policy, not morality, not helping people. We're just talking about Republicans versus Democrats. We're talking about the people who vote. And among the people who vote, Joe Biden has a messaging problem because for the people who vote, the economy is just fine. But can Joe Biden make that case? Here he is in Maryland on Thursday trying to make the case to voters. In fact, only two presidents in American history with fewer jobs the day they left office than when they started. One was President Hoover, and the other was Donald Hoover Trump. <laughs> Seriously, only two presidents in American history. So in terms of the optics, uh, he's correct. And his attack against Trump is somewhat gentle. He doesn't come across as arrogant. There's humility. And I, I think that plays well with the American people. Donald Trump. Your response, please. And I did a great job as president. People are acknowledged. Great economy, great jobs, great this, great that. OK, that's a lie. You know, he he's more clear headed than Joe Biden. He's stronger physically and sharper, but he uses that strength to lie about his record. Uh Joe Biden maybe lied about where he was on 9-11. Uh, he wasn't there the next day. It took about nine days before he arrived at Ground Zero. Uh, he either lied or he forgot. But on the big issues like jobs, he's correct. Donald Trump 
lost more jobs than any president since Herbert Hoover and the Great Depression. And we have a record low unemployment rate, three point, what, four percent? It can't really get any lower. Please continue, Joe Biden. He lost two million jobs over the course of his presidency, two million. We created 13. We've created 13.4 million new jobs. We not only recovered all the jobs we lost during the pandemic, we've added millions more. We've seen record lows in unemployment, particularly, and I've focused on this my whole career, particularly for African-Americans and Hispanic workers and veterans. You know, the workers without high school diplomas, the lowest unemployment rate in 70 years for women now. You know, by the way, when I got elected, I promised I wanted an administration to look like America. I got more women in the cabinet than any president has ever in history. I got more women, more women than men in the cabinet. I got more women in the cabinet than any president in history. Well, I think Bill Clinton might have gotten more women in the cabinet than any president in history. But Biden hired more women. I also like what he said about finding work for people without high school diplomas. Never heard that before from a Democratic president or candidate acknowledging the existence of people who don't have high school diplomas. Forget college diplomas. This is a major shift, a positive one. Before Biden, Democrats blamed the working class for not being educated. That was the big Clinton and Obama spiel. You know, the only way we can compete with Germany, Japan, China is to be better educated. Well, you know, that blames us for our own immiseration. People need jobs, whether you have a diploma or not. People need jobs, not excuses. OK, you don't have a diploma before Biden. You don't have a diploma. No work for you. Well, this was what turned so many working class people away from the Democrats, these elitists who looked down and blamed people who didn't go to college and people who didn't graduate from high school. Good. I think it's a brilliant tactical move on Joe Biden's part to speak about people who don't have high school diplomas. They're entitled to jobs, and it's not their fault. Uh, Donald Trump, your thoughts on what you just heard. Great this, great that, 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 great this, great that. Okay, it's time for the scary part of the show. Vivek, Vivek. Ramaswamy. This is the 2024 edition. He is the scariest of all the candidates. Uh, Jobs. It's all about jobs. That's all that matters. Trump says he created more jobs than any president before him. That's a lie. Well, Vivek has a plan. Three million people work for the executive branch directly under the president. Here is Vivek Ramaswamy's job plan. First, it will be a plan that reduces the size of the federal employee headcount 
by over 75% if I'm the next president by the end of my first term, 50% of which is implementable by the end of year one. Here is my job plan. You're all fired. I'm going to fire half the federal workforce in my first term. You know, uh, this is the party of stupid, demonized government. I'm going to fire 1.5 million federal employees in four years. And Republican voters, well, I guess he's banking on Republican voters to be all in on that because it's mean, it's sadistic, it causes hardship and pain. It also presupposes that the people who work for the federal government don't do anything, and that's a lie. Let me tell you what Vivek Ramaswamy isn't telling you about his plan to fire 1.5 million federal employees. He wants to replace the federal workforce with private contractors who charge three, 10, sometimes 100 times as much with no transparency. This isn't about saving money. It's about transferring tax dollars into the pockets of companies like McKinsey, Halliburton, Booz Allen, and all the new private contractors that will spring up uh, to do the work that our federal workforce did. But these private contractors will charge way more for a lot less. Here is a fun fact. 2023 ends on December 31st, but Washington's fiscal year ends on September 30th. It's kind of like the way the Jews do the new year, like the Jewish new year is starting. The federal government's new year starts on September 30th, around the same time as Rosh Hashanah. The new fiscal year actually begins October 1st, 2023. Always does. That's when the budget has to be finished by October 1st of the year. You know, it's kind of the way Detroit puts out the 2024 models in October. Same thing with our government. The fiscal year starts on October 1st. Interesting fun fact. And we never have a budget in on time. Never. We never have a budget ready. So to keep the government running, Congress has to pass what is called a continuing resolution. You hear that all the time, and they always assume we know what it means, but we don't. Some of you do. But a continuing resolution. What does a continuing resolution mean? You hear this all the time. It means a temporary spending bill, a resolution that's passed so the government can continue. Hence, a continuing resolution. You're going to be hearing the term continuing resolution. It means a temporary stopgap bill for, say, 30, 60 days to keep the government funded. And then when that continuing resolution expires, they must pass another continuing resolution and another continuing resolution until Congress and the president finally agree on a budget. It can take months before the budget is passed. So a resolution is really a bill and a continuing resolution is a bill to continue our government without an official budget. So 
Kevin McCarthy is the speaker and he has his back against the wall. If you remember, he was elected speaker back in January after 15 rounds. It took 15 rounds for him to win the speakership. That's because the ultra right wing Freedom Caucus fought him uh, tooth and nail, but he finally mustered enough votes to win after surrendering a lot of his power to the rank and file inside the Republican ca- uh, uh, caucus. He surrendered a lot of power so his rule as speakership can, can be temporary. One of the new rules that McCarthy agreed to was one member, all it took was one member of the Republican caucus to make a motion to, quote unquote, vacate the chair. We're going to be hearing a lot about vacating the chair. That means a motion to vacate the chair means the speaker gives up his chair and Congress convenes once again and there would be another vote for speaker and it would result in chaos and brinkmanship. All it takes now, according to the, the compromise, so he could become speaker is one renegade member of Congress to file a motion to vacate the chair and then Remember those 15 rounds in January? He fights for his speakership all over again. Now, the far right, especially the members of the Freedom Caucus, are demanding two things right now from McCarthy. The immediate impeachment of Joe Biden, that's one, and a government shutdown. They want the government shut down. No budget, no government. That's what the Freedom Caucus is demanding because they hate Biden and they hate Washington. They want to kick Joe Biden and Washington out of Washington. But the Freedom Caucus does not represent the rest of the Republican Congress. There is a distinct possibility that the Democrats are going to take back the House in 2024. Partially because Speaker McCarthy has gotten absolutely nothing accomplished for the American people other than investigating the Biden crime family. And all that does is help Donald Trump. But it doesn't help Republican members of Congress, especially the ones who are hanging on to seats in swing districts. And now with the federal courts and the Supreme Court, ordering places like Georgia, Florida, Ohio, Alabama, and New York to redraw their congressional maps, it is conceivable that by 2024, there will be 12 new districts. 12 red districts will be redrawn and turned into blue districts. And, you know, 12 seats could turn blue. Not all of them would turn blue, but uh, a vast preponderance of that 12 would be new blue seats. Remember, all it takes is five to flip this house. The Dems just need to pick up five seats to take back this house. So a lot of Republicans in the House don't want to shut the government down because it makes them look bad. It's hard to run for re-election saying, hey, I shut the government down. 
And a lot of them don't want to impeach because impeachment isn't popular. The American people don't want to impeach. It backfired on the Republicans when they impeached Bill Clinton. A lot of Republicans who aren't members of the Freedom Caucus and even some members of the Freedom Caucus want to look like they're doing the people's business. Shutting the government down, impeaching Biden makes Republicans look bad. Here is Congressman Maxwell Frost. He's a freshman Democrat from Florida. He was born in 1997. Here he is on the floor of the House earlier this week painting a picture of the mess Speaker McCarthy is in. We are 15 days away from a government shutdown that will impact millions of working people. And Speaker Kevin, Kevin McCarthy cannot even get his own party to pass any significant pieces of legislation. And the cherry on top of all of this is that instead of getting to work to fund the government, they're trying to impeach Hunter Biden, I think, which, spoiler alert, is not the president of the United States. This speaker doesn't even have the votes for impeachment, doesn't have the votes to fund the government. Uh, it's unclear whether or not he even has the votes to keep his own job. That's uh, Maxwell Frost. He added. So, America, in 15 days from now, when our country comes to a halt, Remember who did this to you, Speaker Kevin McCarthy and the extremist House Republicans who care more about themselves and their politics than you. That's uh, Maxwell Frost, born in 1997, Democrat. I think he represents Orlando, Florida. Well, the Freedom Caucus is going to stick to their guns and they have a lot of guns to stick to. Marjorie Taylor Greene was thrown out of the Freedom Caucus earlier this year partly for picking a fight with Lauren Boebert, but mostly because she was bought off by Kevin McCarthy. In exchange for her vote for Speaker, McCarthy promised this Cretan a much bigger role in the House of Representatives. She was given choice committee assignments, and sometimes she got to play Speaker, which resulted in this priceless moment of irony. The members are reminded to abide by decorum of the House. This, you know, weeks after she had heckled Joe Biden at his State of the Union, calling him a liar. So uh, the irony wasn't lost on the Democratic caucus. Marjorie Taylor Greene is remaining lawyer, loyal to uh, Speaker McCarthy, and she was kicked out of the Freedom Caucus. So she has expressed her solidarity with Kevin McCarthy. She said, I'm not a member of the Burn It All Down Caucus anymore. I'm a greatly, very happily a free agent and I want to do my job here. And that's the Cretan Marjorie Taylor Greene. That being said, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Cretan, has 
pushed hard on impeaching Joe Biden. And she's she's in bed with Speaker McCarthy, but uh, she is the one who has pushed the hardest for Hunter Biden. I mean, Joe Biden, well, Hunter Biden as well, to be impeached. In fact, the reason Marjorie Creighton Green turned on Lauren Boebert earlier this year is because Lauren Boebert introduced her own articles of impeachment and Marjorie Taylor Greene cornered her on the floor. This is true. And she accused Lauren Boebert of plagiarism and grandstanding. And Marjorie Taylor Greene said, why did you introduce my articles of impeachment when all you had to do was support my articles of impeachment? And then Marjorie called her a, a little bitch. And when she called uh, Lauren Boebert a little bitch, uh, like a little bitch, Lauren Boebert went <laughs> running to the Freedom Caucus and they expelled Marjorie Taylor Greene, but mostly because she's in bed with Kevin McCarthy and the Freedom Caucus wants to get rid of Kevin McCarthy. Now, some of the members of the Freedom Caucus, not all. McCarthy is going to feel the heat to turn the heat up on Biden now that the newly named special counsel looking into the Biden crime family. Jesus, the Biden crime family. The new special counsel announced on Wednesday that Hunter Biden has been indicted inside a Delaware courtroom on three counts for owning a gun while using narcotics. Something, by the way, Republicans support. I'm not making that up. A, a circuit court recently ruled. I talked about this, I think, two weeks ago. A circuit court down south recently ruled in favor of a Republican challenge to a law that forbids drug users from owning guns. Uh, but that's not the point. Uh, in the Republican Party, every drug addict is allowed to own a gun unless that drug addict is Hunter Biden. Anyway. Hunter Biden has been indicted on two counts for lying back in 2018 at the height of his crack addiction when he filled out an application to purchase a Colt Cobra revolver. And in the application, he said he was not using illegal drugs. Well, you know, when you're doing crack, honesty is not one of your finer points. The third count is for owning a gun while using narcotics, the gun ended up uh, being thrown in the trash by his girlfriend. And he now faces 15 years in prison, which is why Biden should just pardon him right now. Should just pardon his son. Who cares? It will get the republic. The, the, their heads will explode. They won't know what to do. Just pardon your son. Nobody can blame you for, for pardoning your son. He, he had a... A string of bad luck. He became a, a crack addict. Just pardon your son. Do it. Pardon him. So Kevin McCarthy has caved into pressure and authorized an impeachment probe. OK, which is not the same as a congressional authorization of an impeachment probe. I talked about this earlier in the week. It's different when the speaker just says, yeah, go look into possibly impeaching Hunter. It's a lot different. I'll explain that in a second. Here is Elise Stefanik. 
She is uh, number three in the House leadership, but she reminds me of number two. Here she is celebrating the announcement. Speaker McCarthy announced House Republicans' intention to pursue an impeachment inquiry of Joe Biden. This is about transparency and answers for the American people and ultimately accountability for what I believe will uncover the biggest political corruption scandal in our nation's history. Huh? Say that again, please. The biggest political corruption scandal in our nation's history. Wow, that's what a Harvard education gets you. But this is the biggest uh, corruption story in American history. That's what a Harvard education gets you. And it also gets you this for a husband, uh, this low life wart on the groin of America is named Matthew Manda, and he's a gun lobbyist. He is manager of public affairs for the National Shooting Sports Foundation based in Newtown, Connecticut. Newtown, Connecticut. Wait a second. National Sporting National Shooting Sports Foundation is based in Newtown, Connecticut. Is that why Newtown, Connecticut is known for guns? I, I, when I think of Newtown, Connecticut, Matthew Manda, I always think of guns, but I guess it's because of the National Shooting Sports Foundation, Matthew Manda, gun lobbyist, blood on his hands. So is there going to be an impeachment? Is Congress going to launch a full-scale investigation into the biggest political scandal in American history? That's what Harvard graduate Elise Stefanik calls it. Here is Colorado Congressman Ken Buck. He's a Republican, and he, too, is a member of the Freedom Caucus. Here he is being asked why McCarthy didn't get the impeachment probe authorized by the entire House. This is important. I talked about this earlier in the week. There's a difference between the speaker announcing an impeachment probe and a full vote from the House of Representatives authorizing an impeachment probe. Okay, here is Ken Buck, Republican from Colorado, member of the Freedom Caucus, being asked, why did the speaker announce the probe without getting a majority vote in the House? Oh, he knew he wouldn't pass. There were, there were probably more than 20 Republican votes that, that would not have been in favor of this. Okay, so Ken Buck on impeachment is a moderate but he's still a member of the Freedom Caucus, which means he also hates Kevin McCarthy. Um, he not only did he say he was going to bring it to the floor, but he criticized uh, Nancy Pelosi for not bringing it to the floor uh, when, when she was uh, impeaching Donald Trump. So he has a long history of what he thinks needs to happen before impeachment. But when you don't have the votes, you, you don't bring it to the floor. And he didn't bring it to the floor. And this is important. I explained this earlier in the week. Without a full authorization of an impeachment probe from the House, the Justice Department will not cooperate with the investigation, with the impeachment investigation. Now, that's because of Bill Barr trying to protect Donald Trump. That's a, a, that's a, a memo that was written by the Office of Legal Counsel inside Bill Barr's Justice Department when he was trying to protect Donald Trump during Trump's first impeachment. 
So Nancy Pelosi wanted to launch the probe. The memo from the Office of Legal Counsel was written, and it said in order for you to get a cooperation from the Justice Department, you have to give us a full impeachment probe authorization from Congress. Majority members, the majority of Congress has to vote to authorize the probe. Uh, If we don't get that, then you don't get the Justice Department freeing up the FBI and other investigators inside the executive branch to assist the impeachment investigation. You know, when you hold hearings, you issue subpoenas, you need the Justice Department to enforce congressional subpoenas. Peter Navarro was convicted last week of contempt of Congress because he disobeyed the January 6th committee's subpoena. You have to go to the Justice Department and get them to enforce these subpoenas. This Office of Legal Counsel memo that was written to protect Donald Trump says no probe, no hearings uh, without a, a full authorization from the entire House. So there is no impeachment investigation. Forget impeachment. There's going to be no impeachment probe if Kevin McCarthy doesn't get a full authorization vote from Congress. And he can't. He doesn't have. Ken Buck just said there are about 20 votes. Uh, You know, all it takes is five Republicans to vote against the probe. Ken Buck just said there are 20 Republicans who would vote against the probe. So Joe Biden is not going to get impeached. Kevin McCarthy, however, may not last the year. Matt Gates, the congressman from Florida, who almost got punched back in January. I played that clip. Remember the guy with the toupee? Try to punch Matt Gates because he wouldn't vote for Speaker McCarthy. Matt Gates would not support McCarthy. Here is Matt Gates, who is hell bent on derailing Kevin McCarthy's speakership. I'm concerned for the speaker that he seems to be a little rattled and unhinged in a time when we need focus and strong effort. Okay, Matt Gates is. Uh, Biting, he wants to destroy Kevin McCarthy. May the worst man lose. Uh, this is what Kevin McCarthy said about Matt Gates this week. Matt is upset about an ethics complaint. I don't care what they threaten against me. I'm not going to interject into an independent committee like ethics so they can do whatever they want. What Kevin is saying is that Matt Gates is facing an ethics complaint in the House. It's based on accusations that he flew underage girls to Washington, D.C. to do drugs and have sex. McCarthy has kept that ethics probe going, even though the Justice Department decided after an investigation not to press charges against Matt Gates, even though he was implicated by a close friend who is now doing prison time on the same exact charges. And his friend's lawyer has said, why did the Justice Department 
not charge Matt Gates for the identical crimes my client, Matt Gates' best friend, is going to prison for. It involved underaged girls, sex, and drugs. And I can't help but think Kevin McCarthy kept the ethics charge on the books to kind of keep Matt Gates in line. And as Matt Gates bites at Kevin McCarthy, he points out that there's an ethics charge against Matt Gates. And he implies that Matt Gates wants Kevin McCarthy to make the ethics charges disappear. But McCarthy is fighting. I don't know why. I don't know why he even gets out of bed in the morning. He's fighting. And this week in a closed door meeting with his caucus, Matt Gates was there and McCarthy screamed the F word at Gates and dared him to bring a motion on the floor to vacate the chair. He said, quote, if you think you scare me because you want to file a motion to vacate, move the effing motion. That is what Kevin McCarthy said in a closed door meeting and then admitted to it after the meeting. I showed frustration in here because I am frustrated with the committee. I'm frustrated with some people in the conference. He then added. I don't walk away from a battle. Yeah, you don't walk away from a battle like that battle with Donald Trump, who you screamed at on January 6th in the afternoon telling him we're done, but then hours later you voted not to certify the election for Joe Biden because you don't walk away from a battle. And then a week later you flew down to Mar-a-Lago to apologize to Donald Trump for disrespecting him during his insurrection. I'm sorry, Donald. I got mad at you for you trying to kill me. Continue, Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who doesn't walk away from a battle. I knew changing Washington would not be easy. I knew people would fight or try to hold leverage for other things. I'm going to continue to just to focus on what's the right thing to do for the American people. Yeah, the right thing for you to do for the American people is to leave this country. So, you know, I'm kind of curious, what is it that these people want other than power? Uh, he's a Kevin McCarthy has accomplished nothing. And he's probably going to lose the House next year. And he's probably going to lose the speakership this year. So why? What are you fighting for? What is what what do you get out of what what do you get out of bed in the morning for? Nobody wins in a government shutdown. Nobody wins in a government shutdown. I've been here. OK, you don't want the government you want the government to stay open. That sounds what else do you stand for? We want to be able to win the policies that we've been fighting for and telling the American public. We want to make sure our border becomes secure. We want to stop the runaway spending. We've been able to save quite a bit when the debt ceiling. We want to see the other places we can save here as well. We want to change the wokeism that the, that the Democrats had placed into this government. I guess I guess it's something. And you know what? If it takes a fight, I'll have a fight. You want to fight. It takes a fight. Matt Gates, he wants a fight. Uh, whether or not McCarthy faces a motion to vacate is within his own hands. 
all he has to do is come into compliance. Okay, so this is a battle royale between two people. I couldn't care. I hope they both lose. But this is a fight between Matt Gates and Kevin McCarthy. And they I, I just wish there was a way they could both end up bleeding on the floor fi- figuratively. Here is Matt Gates on the House floor warning Kevin McCarthy that he is not keeping his promises that he made to the Freedom Caucus, the promises Kevin McCarthy made in exchange for some of their votes to become speaker. Now, he made promises, but they none of those promises were good enough for Matt Gates, who who did not vote for Kevin McCarthy. But Matt Gates is upset because he feels that Kevin McCarthy hasn't kept the promises he made to the Freedom Caucus. So here is Matt Gates standing up to Kevin McCarthy. I rise today to serve notice. Mr. Speaker, you are out of compliance with the agreement that allowed you to assume this role. Okay, so that's Matt Gates earlier this week publicly declaring that he is going to make a motion to vacate the chair so that we have to vote again on a new speaker uh, because Speaker McCarthy isn't keeping promises that he made to the Freedom Caucus in exchange for their vote for speaker. Matt Gates, what promises did Kevin McCarthy fail to keep? We have had no vote on term limits or on balanced budgets as the agreement demanded and required. There's been no full release of the January 6th tapes. As you promised, there has been insufficient accountability for the Biden crime family. And instead of cutting spending to raise the debt limit, you relied on budgetary gimmicks and rescissions so that you ultimately ended up serving as the valet to underwrite Biden's debt and advance his spending agenda. Okay, go on. What other promises did McCarthy not keep? You boasted in January that we would use the power of the subpoena and the power of the purse. But here we are eight months later, and we haven't even sent the first subpoena to Hunter Biden. That's how you know that the rushed and you know, somewhat rattled performance you just saw from the speaker isn't real. At this point during Democrat control over the House of Representatives, they had already brought in Don Jr. three times. And we haven't even sent the first subpoena to Hunter Biden. Because Don Jr. is a criminal and Hunter Biden isn't. But you need a full authorization from the House of Representatives, Matt, to get the FBI to enforce the subpoena power. And uh, anyway, go on. uh, What about shutting down the government? Why are you opposed to this continuing resolution? Why do you want the government shut down? A vote for a continuing resolution is a vote to continue the Green New Deal, a vote to continue inflationary spending. And in the most troubling of fashions, a vote for a continuing resolution is a vote to continue the election interference of Jack Smith. Okay, and what does McCarthy have to do for you? And what does he have to do so you don't file a motion for him to vacate the chair? Mr. Speaker, dust off our written January agreement. You have a copy. Reflect on the spirit of that agreement and build on the start that we had moments ago. Begin to comply. No continuing resolutions, individual spending bills or bust. 
votes on balanced budgets and term limits, subpoenas for Hunter Biden and the members of the Biden family who've been grifting off of this country and the impeachment for Joe Biden that he so richly deserves. Do these things or face a motion to vacate the chair. Pretty ominous. Continue. And let me alert the country. A motion to vacate might not pass at first, but it might before the 15th vote. And if Democrats bail out McCarthy, as they may do, then I will lead the resistance to this uniparty and the Biden-McCarthy-Jeffries government that they are attempting to build. I know that Washington isn't a town where people are known for keeping their word. Well, Speaker McCarthy, I'm here to hold you to yours. I yield back. I know what my listeners are thinking. Like, why isn't the squad like this? Why don't we have any Democrats like Matt Gates? right? Wouldn't it be great to have a Democrat, one Democrat who puts Hakeem Jeffries' feet to the fire? Why, why is that? Well, because Matt Gates and the Freedom Caucus want to destroy Washington, D.C. They want to destroy our government, and they don't care if that destruction also includes their own Republican Party or the American people. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. 